water. Okay, wonderful. If, um, if you were here before the meeting started, you may have seen my children running around, uh, kind of playing nicely, nice and gentle with one another, roaring at each other. They might even have come and roared at you. Uh, that's because at the minute, uh, everything in our house is all about dragons uh, and dinosaurs. Pretty much anything that roars, and then it's, uh, it's the thing in our house at the minute. And um, so it's very much all about, all about dragons at the minute. Um, is flavour of the month, is that an actual term, or have I just made it up? It is. Oh, that's a shame. I thought I'd come up with a good one then. But it is. It really is flavour of the month. And, and one of the reasons being is because uh, we recently discovered the How to Train Your Dragon films. It's a film franchise. Uh, really good. Uh, I've seen one of them. Uh, really good films. Um, and there, there are three at the moment. There are three films in the franchise. And in our house, we, we have two of the three. Uh, but it, it's really unhelpful, the two that we have, because we have the first one and we have the third one. We don't have the middle one, right? Everyone, Steph and the kids have watched all three, so they're quite happy just jumping about. I've only seen the first one. They keep encouraging me to watch the third one, but I'm not going to watch the third one until I've seen the second one. Does that make sense? Because I'm like, I want to be able to kind of keep track and follow on. Uh, and, and it seems like actually there's a lot of, uh, not just in films, but we think about literature as well. We get series, don't we, where, they, where one story will build to the next one. And again, in films, we get these franchises where it seems to work. I think there's like 30 Fast and Furious films now. I have no idea how many there are. Uh, but they, it just kind of keeps on going and going. Uh, and it can be sometimes. You can kind of dip in and out, can't you? And you can enjoy it for what it is. You can enjoy that book or that film for what it is. But actually, if you follow it through, there's a deeper level of understanding that you get, a deeper level of enjoyment where you're really able to follow through at a, at a different level, at a deeper level, so you can kind of understand the story in a different way than if you were just kind of jumping about and, and dipping in and out of that. Now, uh, last Sunday, we started our new series uh, where we're going to be looking at a letter uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And for the part of the letter that we're going to be looking at today, what I want us to do actually is to go back to an earlier part of Paul's life. Okay, so just like making sure we're not just jumping around too much uh, as we might do with, with films or with books. Actually, we want to, I, I want us to go back to an earlier part of Paul's life, which will help us, I, I hope, will help us to have a deeper, deeper understanding of what Paul actually brings up in the part of the letter that we are going to be looking at today. And we're going to go back to uh, a time before... Um, before the Bible actually calls him Paul, the Bible speaks about him, uh, addresses him by the name of Saul. And at a time, this was, uh, we, maybe we know, know Paul for writing letters to the churches, being an encouragement, bringing challenge and provocation to the churches. But before he was one who was for the church, Saul was very much one who was against the church and against everything that it stood for and about the very message of the gospel that, uh, that, uh, that it preached and that it taught. And so I want us to go back to this time where Paul had, uh, or Saul rather, I'm going to do that, forgive me, you know who I'm talking about if I say Saul or Paul, but we've got Saul. Uh, and at this time, he, he's wanting to see the church pretty much uh, stamped out. He wants to see the gospel being quashed. He wants to see this, I guess, this new movement, as you might have seen it, uh, kind of finish as quickly as it started. And he's got this, this letter, he's got this approval to be able to go into this... Um, place called Damascus and to go and arrest anyone he finds there uh, who is associating themselves with Jesus, who's associating themselves with the church and, and to take them out of that place uh, and to imprison them. And he's on the road to, uh, to this place called Damascus and as he's walking all of a sudden this bright light 
shines all around and he stopped in his tracks and this voice says to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, he says, who, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he says, it's Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Isn't that incredible where uh, Saul has been persecuting the church and yet when he encounters Jesus, Jesus says this, it's not just that you're persecuting the church, you're, you're persecuting me. So like you, if you're persecuting my people, then you're persecuting me. And he tells um, Saul that he, he tells him to, to get up and that he is to continue his journey into Damascus and he's to stay in Damascus until kind of he receives further instructions, until something happens, he's to, to go. And having encountered this light, he's unable to see. Uh, and so he continues on his journey. He's got those with him who enable him to continue his journey and he finds his way into Damascus. And while that's happening, uh, God's on the move. Jesus is on the move and Jesus appears to this guy uh, called, I should know this, and it's gone from my head. Ananias. It is Ananias, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, it's good to be family together. And uh, God speaks to Ananias. And he says to Ananias, he says, look, Saul's coming. Ananias knew who Saul was. He knew what that meant. This was not good news. If you were a Christian and Saul was coming, you did not want to be around. This was not going to be a good thing. And yet, uh, here's Jesus talking to Ananias and saying, I want you to go to Saul. I've got something that I need you to do. I need you to go to Saul. Uh, and, and, he, and so Ananias finds him, he tracks him down, and he's with Saul. And he says to Saul, look, I am here so that you will receive, you, you, your sight will be recovered, and that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Saul's eyes are opened, and then he, he, and he's baptized. He's changed. He's transformed. He's converted and he goes immediately there's this uh, there's this immediate response uh, uh, um, me and my phrases we talk about Damascus Road experiences as well which is that expression that says it's kind of a, a, where your life changes in a in an instant where your life changes in, in a moment this is where it comes from because for Paul everything changes in that encounter with Jesus he's gone from being one who persecutes the church and then immediately he in Damascus he's preaching the gospel, the very gospel that he was trying to squash, the very gospel that he was trying to see killed off, he's now preaching that in the synagogue. Something has changed, or something has happened on that road to Damascus as he encounters Jesus for himself. He goes from being one who wants nothing to do with Jesus to being one who's actually preaching the very gospel that he wanted to see uh, taken away and destroyed. The reason why I'm telling this story is because, as we'll see in the verses that we're going to read, Paul will share this story. He will use this story about who he, is, who he was and about what God has done for him. Uh, and he'll share it with the Galatians to show that the gospel is not just his good idea, but actually the gospel is God's idea. And that's going to be very much our focus for this morning. Thinking about what it means, or, or focusing on the truth that the gospel is God's idea. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be following through in sequence. We have to now with me saying about how I am with the films. We need to make sure we're, we're working our way through and building week on week as we follow through with what Paul was writing. So we are now in week two of our Gospel Truth series. As I say, we're going to be working through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. Just very quickly, want to recap the context into which Paul was writing. I know we did this last week, but it's helpful, I think, to be reminded as we go through. Uh, the context into which Paul was writing. So he'd been uh, in, in the region of Galatia, which we would find in southern Turkey, modern-day Turkey. 
And he's been there and he's been preaching the gospel. People have been getting saved. As people have been getting saved, they've been gathering together and churches have been formed. So Paul was hugely instrumental in that, in both the preaching of the gospel and seeing churches established. And he spent time in that region. And then he moves on to Antioch. Uh, and the, the churches are kind of left get, getting on with things. And then a year later, he hears reports of some things that are going on in, in, um, in Galatia that, that really trouble him and unsettle him. And he knows that he has to immediately write to them in order to, in order to address some things and correct some things that have found their way into the church. And, and primarily, there are two main things, really, that, that Paul is responding to. I know we looked at this last week, but again, let's just have a quick uh, recap. The first one is this, is that he has this, this moment where he, uh, he confronts the Apostle Peter. Uh, and, and the reason he confronts the Apostle Peter, he, they, they, he's, he's confronting him because um, Peter had been, been mixing both with the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts, so the, the Jewish and the non-Jewish converts. And Paul, who was a Jew himself, uh, encountered Jesus, obviously one of the disciples, uh, now a Christian from a Jewish background. And he was one who, who was then spending time and mixing with and associating with those that came from the Jewish backgrounds and also the Gentile backgrounds. Really, that's what the gospel does. It, it unites us to Jesus, but it unites us to one another. So those divisions that might have been there before, and we'll look at this as the letter moves on, whether we're talking about Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, male, female, all of those divisions that we might... <laughs> That, that have kind of been set up, all of those things in terms of unity and being reconciled, uh, uh, that they're no longer barriers, actually God is calling a, a diverse people to him, to himself. Uh, and that was what Peter was living out. But there's, the, um, the, there's some people that come along, some Jewish converts that uh, we might hear of being uh, referred to as the Judaizers, and, and they come in. And now where, where Peter had been eating with the Gentiles, been mixing with the Gentiles, with the arrival of these Judaizers, he's now withdrawn, and now he's only eating with the, with the Jewish converts. He's not eating with the Gentile converts anymore. Not only that, other, the, the other Jewish Christians, have, they, they're following his lead, really. Uh, and so now where there was unity and there was uh, um, fellowship among all believers, now there's this division and separation that has come in. And for Paul, this is a, this is a, a huge Thing. This is a, 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 a huge deal. As I mentioned, because the gospel that Paul preached was one of unity, first and foremost with God, but also with one another. And so actually what's happening here is, is kind of an undoing, really, of, of that, of what Jesus had done and of what the gospel had produced. And Paul can't let this stand. This is too important. And the second thing uh, is that these same group, these Judaizers, have worked their way into Galatia and they're working their way around the churches. And they're now teaching that actually in order for someone to be fully part of God's family, uh, for, for, sorry, for Gentiles to be fully part of God's family, they have to be circumcised. Now circumcision was, was that covenant, it was, was a sign of the covenant between God and, and his people, that sign that they've been set apart. He would be their God and they would be his people. And this, again, for, for, for the Jewish um, nation and for the Jewish people, that was a huge thing for them. But now, even within this gospel of grace that's been preached, this group have come in and saying, actually, that's not enough. Something else has to happen. That your salvation is not a result of God's grace in Christ, but it's a result of other things that we have done. And again, Paul can't let this stand. 
because he sees this as a reversal of the true gospel, the gospel that had been revealed to him and the true gospel that he had been preaching. And as again, as I mentioned last week, the key question really that Galatians poses is this, is whether Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to be fully saved. Because that was, the, that was the, this new teaching that had found its way into the church and was challenging the, the gospel that Paul himself had brought and the gospel that Paul himself was teaching. And so we started last week uh, with Paul's greetings to the church and his address to the church. And he starts off straight away uh, just speaking about the grace of God, about the gospel about how we can be reconciled to God, about how we can know peace with God, not a result of works, but of grace, of unmerited favour, a gift that has been given to us, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything that God is going to receive in return, but of his grace. And then he doesn't waste any time before he starts addressing these really important matters, saying, actually, do not turn away from the true gospel There are those that will want you to turn away. There are those that are coming in with a different teaching. But this isn't a different gospel. Actually, it's so far from the gospel. It's no gospel at all. We need to keep coming back to the true gospel. The gospel that I preached, of what Paul preached and what the other apostles were preaching. So let's pick up from verse 10. Galatians 1 verse 10. Paul continues. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit uh, Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Uh, Cephas being Peter, Apostle Peter, remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So we've got these Judaizers. They've found their way into into the region of Galatia. They're working their way around the churches they're preaching their gospel that would say it's not just salvation is not jesus salvation through jesus by grace it is jesus plus something else you have to add something else whether it's observance of of the the law or whether it's circumcision whatever it might be they're saying jesus by himself is not enough you need to do something else and this was the gospel that they were preaching and as they were doing so it appears that they were they were looking to challenge or undermine uh Paul and the gospel that he preached. As if they're saying, we know that Paul has been here. 
We know that Paul has preached this gospel to you. We know that Paul was instrumental in you getting saved and in your churches getting started. Uh, But actually, the gospel that Paul preached wasn't the real deal. He didn't give you the whole picture. Actually, he missed this out, which is what you need to know. So he's coming in and they're challenging and they're undermining Paul. They're undermining the gospel that he preached. They're bringing accusations that the gospel that Paul preached isn't the true gospel. And actually, the gospel that Paul's preaching is that Paul is saying... He's saying something that people want to hear. He's looking to bring a gospel that is, uh, that, that is appealing to people. And, and he's changed it so that it, it pleases man, so that it, it pleases people. And very early in the letter, Paul responds to this. Paul's saying, I'm not going to let this stand. I'm not going to let these accusations, I'm not going to let this challenge stand. I don't know about you, if I feel like someone's misrepresented me, there's something where I want to I stand up for myself. I want to defend myself. I want to set the record straight because I don't want people to think something of me that's not true. And I think partly it could be that that's what Paul is doing. But I don't think it's simply that he's defending himself. I think he's saying this and he's responding to this challenge. Also to reassure the Galatians that the gospel that they received was the true gospel. Imagine how they must feel. Actually, we've, we've received this gospel. We've heard this gospel from Paul. Uh, but now someone else is coming in and saying that that's not quite right. Something's got to be changed. Something's got to be added. Surely that would, un- that would unsettle, wouldn't it? That would leave you feeling a little bit like, actually, I'm not too sure who to believe. Paul comes in to reassure them, to say, actually, the gospel that I preached to you and the gospel that you received is the true gospel. That is the one that you need to hold on to. Don't move on from that one. See, Paul lived for God. Paul did not live for the approval or praise of man. He says, I don't, I'm not living for man's praise. I'm not living for man's appraisal. I can't do that. Because if I was doing that, then I wouldn't be able to be a servant of Christ. You can't be a servant of Christ and still live for the approval of people. Actually, we want to live for the approval of God. Actually, we want to live having already received his approval. And Paul's overriding message in these early verses that we're looking at today is this, is that the gospel that he preached was not taught to him by anyone. The gospel that he preached was not handed down kind of through a, through a chain to finally find its way to him. Nor was the gospel something that Paul himself had settled on, having time to, to think things through and having time to wrestle with the scriptures and having time to think about who Jesus was and the message that Jesus preached. He doesn't say that this is where I've come to, I just want to present where I, what I think the gospel might be. Paul's going to, to great lengths here to say actually that is not it at all. This is God's gospel. This is God's idea. It's not a man-made thing. It's not a man-made invention, it is God's idea. And in doing so, he takes us back to the Damascus Road. He says, this gospel that I've received, I've not received from man. It's not something I've been taught. I received it through what? Through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel that he knew, the gospel that he understood, the gospel that he received, came from his personal encounter with Jesus. For something to be revealed means it's been unveiled, which means something that we haven't previously been able to see before. Paul would have known about Jesus. Of course he knew about Jesus. He was trying to, trying to destroy the message that Jesus himself was preaching, that salvation is found through him and through him alone. He would have known about Jesus' death. He would have known about Jesus' resurrection. He would have known about all of those things, but he didn't know who Jesus really was. 
He saw Jesus as some pretender. Someone who was claiming to be the Messiah, the one that, that the people were waiting for. But he, he's, not, he's not him. He's just some fake. And we need to get rid of that message as soon as we can. And yet on that Damascus road, when he encounters Jesus for himself, he, he, he sees Jesus for who he really is. He sees him as the Son of God. He sees him as the, the promised one. The one who was coming to bring salvation and coming to bring freedom. And in that moment, he sees and acknowledges Jesus as Messiah, rather than as a problem that needs to be wiped out and wiped away. He received it from Jesus. And then Paul goes on to tell his story. And the reason why he tells his story is because he's addressing the origin of the gospel he preaches. He's saying, look, you need to know where I've come from. You need to know where I've been through. Then you'll realise how it is I can say that I know that the gospel is God's idea rather than my idea. And as he does so, he, again, he reveals that this is God's idea. Very helpfully in, in these verses, Tim Keller, in, his, in one of his um, commentaries, he, he breaks it down into three sections of, uh, as Paul shares his story. The first is this, he says, who he was, so who Paul was. Secondly, what God was doing. And then thirdly, what God is doing. And as I read that, I thought that was really helpful. So we're going to follow that through uh, over these next few moments. As Paul shares his story, we're going to think about who he was, what God was doing, and what God is doing as Paul takes us on this journey. So who was Paul? Who was he? Simply, Paul was a Pharisee. Phil Moore described the Pharisees like this. He said that the Pharisees were those who preached strict separation from the Gentiles, can we see now why it's such a problem with what's creeping into the church in Galatia? So the Pharisees were those who preached strict separation from the Gentiles and radical obedience to the law of Moses. Modernising and categorising it into 248 commands, 365 prohibitions and 1,521 amendments. That is a lot of stuff to remember. That is a lot of stuff to try and get your head around and to understand, let alone to live out. Paul had been one of them. He had been one of the Pharisees. And he had done everything humanly possible to free his heart from sin and to win acceptance from God. That's how they thought that acceptance from God would, would come about, through observance of the law. All those hundreds, thousands of, of amendments and, and prohibitions uh, and, and commands. He was a Pharisee. And he was a good one. He was good at what he did. If we were to talk about his credentials as a Pharisee, his credentials were excellent. Among his peers, he was streets ahead. I had to recheck my notes then. It looked like it said among hipsters, he was streets ahead. Could be true. Probably among hipsters, he was streets ahead. But among his peers, he was streets ahead. So among those in his age group, he's saying that I was advancing in Judaism far beyond any of those who were my peers and my contemporaries. He was good at what he did. He understood the law. His knowledge of the law was exceptional. And when it came, to, came to, to Judaism, he wasn't passive in any way about it. He was zealous. He was passionate. He was devoted, absolutely devoted to the religion of, of his ancestors, of the generations that have come before him. And he, he says, doesn't he, he was zealous for the traditions of the generations that have been passed down to him. Uh, of the traditions of generations that had gone 
before him, so much so that, that the very traditions that were handed down to, down to him, they were the foundations of his life. That was what he was building his life upon. That was everything to him. And building his life on those foundations meant that any righteousness that he was seeking, so any right standing that he would have before God, was through the law of Moses. That's what he understood. That's what had been passed down to him. That is what he was devoting himself to. And he had done many religious deeds. Again, as far as being a Pharisee is concerned, he was, he was great. He was excellent at what he did. But then Jesus comes along. The Son of God. God made man dwelling among his people. And as Jesus is crucified. And then as Jesus is resurrected. And as the gospel message is proclaimed. The gospel message that you can know peace with God. That you can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. Recognising that the death he died. That he, he bore the sins of the people upon himself. And that as he was raised to life, he won eternal life for those who put their faith and their trust in him. Not through anything that we could do to earn or achieve it, but as a gift of grace. That salvation is not earned through works or observance of the law. But salvation is come through putting your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus. That is the good news. That is the gospel message. And it's that gospel message that was spreading. And churches are starting at such a rate. People getting saved. Churches starting. It's spreading and it's growing. And this gospel that was, uh, was being preached and was spreading stood in absolute stark contrast to everything that Paul had built his life upon the very foundations of who he was and of how he understood things to be Paul hated the gospel I cannot underestimate that enough <coughs> or overestimate it enough he hated the gospel he hated the church he didn't just disagree with the church he didn't just say, well, you might want to believe that gospel, but that's not what I believe. He wanted to destroy the church. He wanted to see it absolutely taken out. He was passionate about seeing the church destroyed. He wanted to get rid of anyone who associated themselves with Jesus. This is who he was. I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading through, but in those couple of verses where he's talking about who he was, uh, that, that there's a lot of him saying I, I, I the focus is all on him the focus was on Paul it was about what he was doing it's about what he was achieving he said I persecuted the church I was advancing I was zealous it was all external it was all about what he was doing he was trying to make himself acceptable to God. And if we think about now with, with, with what's going on in, in Galatia, this is what the Judaizers, Judaizers are saying. They're saying, actually, you need to put the emphasis back on I. What is it that I need to do in order to receive salvation? What is it that I need to do to complete the work that Jesus started? But that's where Paul had been. It was about, what have I achieved? What input do I have? How can I make myself right with God? How can I make myself righteous? That is who he was. His life was about 
I? What can I do? And then in verse 15, we get this brilliant word, which is but. It's a simple word, but it changes everything. Because in that moment where it says but, he's saying, look, this is who I was, but I'm not that person anymore. And the subject changes now, and if we see from Paul's writing, it changes from I. He doesn't talk about I anymore, because this but, this change, this transformation is not brought about by I, but it's brought about by he. So where it had been, I did this, I did this, I advanced, I was zealous, now it changes to but he, but God broke in, but God did something. But God changed me. But God transformed me. And he starts with this. He says, but when he who set me apart before I was born. That's where it changed for Paul. It's not I anymore. When he who set me apart before I was born. That's where that change in his life came. That's where salvation came. This is amazing. You see, God's grace was working in his life before he set foot on the road to Damascus. It wasn't that God thought, oh, this would be a good day for Paul to get saved. This would be a good day to really understand who I am. It was before that. God's grace was working in his life before that. God's grace was working in his life before he first devoted himself to the law. Before he first devoted himself to to the traditions. God's grace was working in his life uh, when God had set him apart From when? From before he was even born. Before Paul was born, God had already decided that he was going to pour his grace out on him. Tim Keller says this, he says that the grace of God had been shaping and preparing him all his life for the things that God was going to call him to do. That's a glorious truth. I'm going to read it again. The grace of God had been shaping and preparing him all his life For the things that God was going to call him to do. We might look at Paul. And we can look at who he was. And quite. Maybe quite rightly we could look and think. uh, Actually there is nothing. About him. That merits God's favour. Why would God. Use that man. In the way that he has done. Knowing everything. Of who he was and what he had done. But here's the thing. God takes us in our failures. God takes us in our weaknesses. God takes us in our brokenness and in our sin. God takes us in our hostility towards him. And actually, he can use us. And we'll see through the life of Paul, God used this very broken, very hostile, who was very broken, very hostile to the gospel kind of guy. And then 2,000 years later, the the very letters that he wrote to the churches are those that we read today. And I think there's something in that for us as well that's so reassuring. In that we can think about who we were before we came to Jesus. And maybe we want to write that off. I want to forget about that. I want to forget about that. There's nothing in there that is pleasing to God. Actually, God chose you. He set his grace on you before you were born. And actually, he can turn the very things that we saw as weakness to his glory. Which is exactly what he does with Paul. The gospel is good news. Amen. Amen. You see, Paul didn't choose God. 
God had already set him apart. Paul hadn't caught God's attention by his obedience and deeds. He says, look, I was advancing in Judaism. I was doing all these great things. I think he was probably, well, he would have been very well known among his people, among his own, his own people, among his own tribe. He would have been very well known. God would have known about him, but God, he didn't catch God's attention by his observance and deeds. Again, he recognises it's not about I, it's about he, because he says, but he called me by his grace. It's not that God noticed something in me and responded to me. It's not that. Far from that, Paul is saying, he, he called me. I didn't call him. I didn't catch his attention. He's the one who called me. And again, when we're thinking about grace, when we're talking about grace, we're talking about God's happy and undeserved favour given without expectation or return. God called him because of grace. And then Paul continues. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me. These verses, I think it's Paul's story, rather, Paul's testimony. It's a, it's a powerful, beautiful testimony of God's transforming and saving grace. Full of profound and wonderful truths. But this really caught my attention perhaps more than any other as I was preparing for this morning. He was pleased to do it. God was pleased to do it. If we're talking about motivation, why did God, or why did Jesus encounter Paul on that Damascus road? Because it pleased God. See, God didn't reveal Jesus to Paul because Paul was worthy. Because there was something about Paul that that merited it or had earned it. God's motivation was simply because God took delight or pleasure in doing so. I think if you've never considered that before, I think that is well worth considering and spending some time thinking about. God reveals his son to Paul. Why? Because simply because God took delight or pleasure in doing so. It pleased him. It's true of Paul. But it's true of us as well. For those of us who are, who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, the reason that you can say that you're a Christian, the reason that you have been, been reconciled to God, the reason that you know Jesus as he truly is, is not because you're worthy, but it's because God delighted in revealing Jesus to you. That is how God feels about you. It delighted him. It pleased him for you to come to know Jesus. Take some time to think upon that. And he was pleased to reveal his son to Paul in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In my translation of the Bible, it says that he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Perhaps a more accurate translation would be he's pleased to reveal his son in me. Which means that through the personal encounter with the living Jesus, Paul realised who Jesus is. So we've got that revelation to Paul. But not only that, he's been called to reveal Jesus to others. To show them who he is. Actually, there's something now about the life that Paul has been called to. What God had called him to. God had called him and revealed his son to him in order that he might 
uh, so has revealed his son to him, but also revealed his son in him. So as people witness Paul and hear his teaching and see the life that he now lives, that Jesus is revealed through, through Paul and in the way that he is and through the life that he lives. See, earlier on in verse 10, Paul says this. He says, if I were still trying to please man. He was once a man who lived for man's approval. He got man's approval. He was recognized as being kind of top of his class in Pharisee school or however they did stuff. I don't know how they did it. But he was, he was living to please man. He was doing stuff in a way that was recognized and receiving praise. But now he's saying, uh, actually, I'm not living to please man anymore. I'm not living to be seen. I'm not living anymore to make Paul known. I'm living now to make him known. I'm living now to make Jesus known. And that is what God had called him to, what God had called him for. That is the purpose that God had for him. Just very quickly, I want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and just read some verses. This is Paul who was writing to Timothy. Because I want you to see that the pattern that we, that we see in Paul's life, in terms of how he was... Um, in terms of how he had been set apart from before he was born, about he, he, how he was called by grace, not by works, about how God was pleased to reveal his son to him, uh, that God had purpose for him, isn't just th- th- that's the gospel, not just for Paul, but actually that is the, that is the message of the gospel. Because Paul writes this to Timothy, see if we can see some similarities between what Paul is saying about who Timothy is and Paul's own testimony. He says this, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, And we see, Paul's now saying, look, this is my testimony, but actually this is the gospel. We've been, we've been called, we've been set apart before the foundations of the world. God is calling a people to himself. And you've been saved not by works, but by grace. Not because of any merit that you've earned, but because it pleases God to do so. But you've also been called for purpose. There's something that God has saved you for. To make him known. And actually we, we, we see that don't we. In, in Jesus' commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's a call for all of us. We're not, we are saved to know Jesus. But actually we, we, we have purpose. In making him known. And in preaching the gospel. And, and, in, and in making the gospel known too. You see beyond his conversion. God had plans for Paul to live out. Because grace continues. It's by grace that we're saved. But it's by grace that we continue to live the life that we have been called to as well. So very quickly, we've looked at who Paul was, what God was doing. But, what, uh, but Paul also tells us what God is doing. Because Paul goes on to speak about the transformation that happened in his life. And the change that happened in his life. Having received Jesus, about having encountered Jesus.
You see, Paul doesn't go, once he's saved, Paul doesn't go to Jerusalem to be with the apostles. He doesn't go to get discipled. He doesn't go to receive teaching or instruction from them. One of the accusations that, that could have been um, thrown against him was that look, he'd, Paul had gone and had been with the apostles and they would have taught him the, the gospel that we're teaching you and Paul's somehow gone off and twisted it and come up with his own variation of it. But Paul goes to great lengths to say, actually, I didn't go to the apostles, first of all. I didn't go to receive, to hear the gospel being taught by them or, or being preached by them. Actually, he's led by the Spirit to spend three years in Arabia and Damascus where he studied the scriptures, where he had time to reflect. Where he had time to, to view and reframe the promises of scripture now in light of the Jesus that he's encountered. Being able to see, actually, how do these things that I've grown up knowing and understanding, how does this all work and fit together? Now I know who Jesus really is. And he had three years being able to, to, to reflect, being shaped by the Spirit, being able to teach that very gospel. Fillmore puts it like this, I think it's beautiful. It says that in that time, Paul was learning how to let Jesus change him from the inside out. That's really what was happening. Paul was a guy who was all about outside in, wasn't it? It was all external. What am I doing? What am I achieving? What can I show to God? What can I show to other people about how earnest I am? Or about how faithful I am? Or about how obedient I am? It was external, external, external. But now, having encountered Jesus, now he's learning, to let, learning how to let Jesus change him from the inside out. And that's where true transformation occurs in his life. Paul does make it to Jerusalem. He does go down to visit the apostles. He goes to meet and he meets with Peter and James. But he doesn't go to receive a gospel from them. Actually, he goes to meet them. He goes to get to, get to know them. Spends a couple of weeks with them. But the change in his character, the change that the Holy Spirit has brought about, leads other people who knew that he was the one who was once he was the one who was persecuting the church he was the one who was persecuting those who believed the very gospel that he is now preaching and as people recognize who Paul was now see him as as he is now having been changed by Jesus and the ongoing work of the holy spirit What happens now is that that leads others to praise God as God is glorified in him. <coughs> I think he probably thought the life that he lived as a Pharisee brought glory to God as people were able to see his obedience and his observance. Actually, what that would have done would have brought, would have brought glory to himself, probably for the most part. But now as he surrenders to Jesus, receives salvation by grace, what happens in his life? Paul's not glorified. Paul's not praised. People recognise him as the man that once persecuted the church. Now <coughs> preaching that very same gospel that he was trying to destroy. And all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. Paul's not living his life for himself anymore. He's living it to see God glorified. He's living to see people encountering Jesus. See, Paul knew who he was. He knew what God had done and he knew what God continued to do. Which meant that he knew that the gospel that he taught wasn't just his own good idea. But he knew that the gospel he taught was God's idea. And it is very, very good news. 
love to pray for us. But I just want to leave a moment as well. Just before I pray, I want us to think. We've been thinking about Paul's story, Paul's testimony. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about your testimony. I want, to think, I want you to think about who you were. I want you to think about what God has done. I want you to think about what God is doing.